right, thank you. You may be seated this time. Amen. Thank you, Joey. Thank you for coming out tonight. Once again, this is our last uh, night to do this, but uh, we're going to be passing around our Girl Scout cookie form for one of our little ones in the weekday. I think it's made it around, but Will's got it. Just if you'll start that around and and, uh, give it, whoever has it last at the end, give it to me. We just want to... I mean, don't give the bill to me, give the form, the form to me. Hey, thank you for coming back out tonight. Uh, last week, we talked about um, an important topic that we need to be talking about as a church, and uh, that is the issue of biblical sexuality, homosexuality, we talked about last week. If you didn't pick up a handout and you want one, let me know, and I'll send you the link, or I'll um, have some more printed out for you. Uh, tonight, we're dealing with a topic that is equally important in our culture, and that is, does divorce disqualify you? And so we're going to be looking at a lot of things about that. And uh, there is a lot of opinion. Uh, There's a lot of scripture. And uh, so we're going to run pretty fast tonight because uh, I know that 7 o'clock will get here quickly. Next week, we're going to be talking about a Christian and politics. And I mentioned this morning... Uh, in honor of doing a little bit of politicking, we're going to be voting for your favorite soup next Sunday, and we'll kind of eat a little bit before we get going with that study. So if you want to bring a bowl of soup, we'll have people vote like we've done before, and uh, that money will go for mission. So let's, let's just jump in and get started. Just like with the subject of homosexuality, uh, our world tries to tell us that there's only a couple options in dealing with this topic. Either we... Affirm and love the person and sweep all of the sin and history and all the relationship and break up and blah, blah, blah. We sweep it under the rug and we don't talk about it and everything's right in fantasy land. Uh, Or we cast that person uh, aside and cast them out. Uh, Somebody told me one time, they said, you know what, if I'd murdered my wife and spent 20 years in prison and got out and joined the church, I could have become a deacon. But all I did was divorce her. And uh, maybe there have not been truer words spoken for that person calling out the church uh, and our hypocrisy sometimes uh, in uh, how we categorize certain sins. And we talked about last week how in our culture right now the spotlight is on sexuality and homosexuality and that's like this really bad sin. And we, we in our humanity, we categorize sins and we give sin certain levels. Forgetting that to God, sin is sin, sin is wrong, sin is what put his son on the cross. So I, I want to share several things with you tonight. The first one would be this, to kind of talk about just real quickly, some things that can help against divorce. Because some of us are single, some of us are young, some of us are youths. And we're maybe thinking about one day having a family and getting married. And I want to give you three quick things for you guys, because we don't want to leave you out tonight, that are important. Uh, I firmly believe these. Statistics will prove that I'm right about these. So here they are. Here's the first one. If you're thinking about getting married, premarital counseling is a huge guard against divorce. Because you learn things with a pastor or teacher or counselor or friend about who you might be thinking about marrying, and it helps you tremendously. Um, Lynette and I had premarital counseling. She knows probably what I'm getting ready to say. 
Uh, I love the person who counseled us, and he loved us, but it wasn't really premarital counseling. Uh, We never got asked hard questions. Uh, Thankfully, we were older uh, in our late 20s when we got married, and some of those questions we knew we should be asking each other. But premarital counseling is a huge guard. Here's a second guard. Walking in purity is a guard against getting a divorce. So young people, I want to tell you, there are some things that the world has said in front of you to trip you up now that you might think are not a big deal, but they may come out, it might be 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years from now, When you're married and all of a sudden something that you did in your past that you thought was just innocent and you were the only one involved and it was just okay because it was just you that it was happening to, uh, I just want to warn you, and this is from a guy who's made mistakes, okay? Walking in purity is a great guard against divorce. Here's the third one, the last one real quick on this. Being in church is a guard against divorce. Statistics prove... For those people who are married and they're consistently in church, the rate of divorce is much less. So there's all kinds of stuff I could print out and show you. Again, I'm giving you a lot at one time. So before we get into really thinking about does divorce disqualify you, I want us to think for just a minute, I'm I'm not a divorced person. I know many divorced people. Uh, I know one divorced person... Very close. So I've shared with you guys that during these nights, I'll be very real, raw, transparent with you. uh, Because even your pastor, and all of us as pastors, are not um, protected against the things of the world that infect our lives and our families just like they do yours. So when I think about divorced people, I think about my sister, who just went through a divorce a little over a year ago. 20 years of marriage, three kids, uh, two teenagers, one who's not a teenager anymore. And so uh, I see this in a very real uh, light. Maybe some of you in here, you know, all of us know divorced people. Maybe you yourself have been through a divorce. <clears throat> and, and based on what she has told me and what I've seen in 30 years of ministry, uh, for those of us maybe who can't uh, tune in quite as much to the heart of a divorced person. I want to tell the rest of us as a church family what I've been told and experienced and what uh, my sister has told me. She feels like being divorced. Uh, She feels like divorce is a death. She says, actually, it may have been easier if one of us had died. Uh, She says divorce is one of the uh, deepest rejections she has ever faced. Uh, she says uh, divorce has no closure, especially if you have kids involved. Uh, she came by our house uh, yesterday, and uh, her ex mother in law came by to pick up the youngest son. And uh, I could tell as she headed out to the driveway for them to meet, wasn't a real pleasant experience. So, By the way, that would tell us, for those of us who are married, who have kids, for those of us who are thinking about getting married and having kids, uh, and Heath could probably tell you more about this than I can tonight, 
a lot of times those most affected by divorce is not husband and wife, but the children who are involved. Because they're like a ping pong ball, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. One of the things that's often true, and was true of my sister, those of you that went with us to the Dominican uh, saw this, because she went on that trip, thankfully. Uh, She thought divorce was her identity. I want to say to you, if you're here tonight, and I know there are a few of you here tonight um, who have been through this, I want to tell you by the authority of God's Word, divorce is not your identity. Divorce is an event, it happened, but it's not your identity. I remember for uh, those of us, um, again in the Dominican, uh, Chloe and Beth Ann, some of the others that were there, we hiked up the mountain, that mountaintop, and uh, my sister was sitting with us under this tin metal and some poles, and Pastor Jim was there, and I just asked her, you want to share your testimony? She kind of like, yeah. And so she got up, she started trying to tear her tes- share her testimony, and then she got choked up, and Daniel, our translator, started translating for her, and uh, she shared in, in short, basically, that she thought God was done with her because she's been divorced. Folks, that's the furthest thing from the truth. So if you're in here and you've been through that, I want to tell you again, we're going to look at Scripture tonight that backs up what I'm telling you, that if you've been through this event of divorce, God is not finished with you yet. It's not done with you. One of the things about divorce, too, that my sister would chime in <laughs> if she was here and say is, it's not, not always initiated by the guilty party. Um, she was told by a lot of well-meaning people, and this makes it very hard for pastors and leaders to know what to say in these situations, because she was told for many years, just stick it out, just stick it out, just stick it out. And I knew enough about the situation that, to be honest, for her to make it 20 years is a miracle that she put up with some of the things that she put up with for 20 years. Divorce is hard for those of us who've been through that. Uh, Sunday mornings is hard for those of us who maybe are in that capacity. We maybe dread Sunday. She dreads Sunday. She dreads going to church because she feels like, again, that's going to be her identity. So just to kind of set the stage for what And some of you who have been through this can speak better than me on this topic. So I'm trying to be sensitive and and not, uh, I would never say that I stand in your spot uh, and I know how you feel because I don't. But I think it's important that for us to really even answer the question, "Does does divorce disqualify you? We have to back up a little bit, just like we did with sexuality and homosexuality and talk about biblical sexuality. Likewise, we have to back up and actually understand what is marriage supposed to be. Because knowing what marriage is intended to be will help us understand where divorce fits in. It's kind of like nighttime. Nighttime is nighttime because we know the opposite. We know what the sun shining outside looks like. It helps us figure out how to kind of think through that. So let's talk about for a minute God's purpose for marriage. God does not uh, like divorce because it really tears at the very heart of God's redemptive plan for mankind. 
If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at a couple of different passages tonight. And um, there are several that we can look at. But two most often that people talk about uh, are these two. Matthew chapter 19. Uh, let's start with verse 3. Here's what the Pharisees, who were those folks that loved to test Jesus, come and ask him. Matthew 19, verse 3, they said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? Notice the way they asked that question. And Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate and divorce her? Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. But Jesus said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. So let's just talk about this passage for just a minute. Jesus answers their question basically by pointing them to the very purpose of marriage. So what is the purpose of marriage? Because if we understand the purpose of marriage, we'll understand the correct context of divorce. Here's the first purpose of marriage. The first purpose of marriage is to mirror the image of God. That's why marriage is important. That's why we actually have marriage. Pastor Jim and I were talking before the service about, will there be marriage in heaven? No, there won't be marriage in heaven. Why? We'll be with the very person of Jesus. We won't need a replica of what our relationship with Him is supposed to look like, like we do right now in the present. And marriage is one of those things that mirrors His image. In Genesis chapter 1, if you want to kind of flip backwards to the first book of the Bible... He says this, and I think we actually even looked at this last week when we talked about sexuality. He says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here's the importance of marriage. So that we kind of give equal time to those of us who are married and maybe those of us who are not. For those of us who are married, our responsibility is that our marriage should exalt God and glorify Him and be an image to the world of what following Jesus is all about. That's, that's, That's a huge responsibility. Here's a second purpose for marriage, to complete each other and experience companionship. If you flip over to the next chapter of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said, It's not good for man to be alone, so I will create a companion, a helper suitable for him. Another purpose of marriage is to multiply a godly legacy. Be fruitful and multiply. We talked about that a little bit last week as well. So marriage is, is much more important than most of us realize. Most of the world, 
Most of the world thinks marriage is for companionship and friendship and somebody to split the house payment with. And the monthly expenses, have a roommate, um, to meet our physical needs. There's a lot of things we could list if you went to the average person on the street and said, what are the benefits of marriage? You probably wouldn't hear to mirror our relationship with God, to mirror the image of God. So, you know and I know that marriages are ending in divorce at, at a pandemic level. And as I was looking over some of this this week and thinking about it, praying about it, everything that I read from the scriptures to other supporting commentaries and things all went back to this statement. And I, I wrote it down because I thought that is really, really good. And here it is. Lies are what lure us away from God's plan for marriage. Lies. Lies. Because we depend more on what our culture says than what the Bible actually instructs us to do. So what kind of deceptions are we talking about? Let me, let me give you just a few of these that I, I wrote down. Because... The truth of the matter is, and again, most of you know this, I'm not telling you anything profound tonight, that those of us in the church, or those of us that are Christians, not necessarily those of us that are consistently in the church that are growing, but those people who would say that they're Christians and those who aren't, the statistics are not much different when it comes to success or fail in marriages. And so here's the lies that we often hear. There are... Just to be really honest, there are some families in our church who are struggling with these lies tonight. They're not here. Wish they were. Because here's some of the lies. Here's one of them. You married the wrong person. So instead of accepting the fact that God has led us to that person... The enemy starts to tell us, well, you've married the wrong person, and then we feel duped, and then we start to think that we have somebody else out there, and this is not really my soulmate. You know, I need to go find my soulmate. It's a lie. It's a lie. When you got married, your spouse became the right person. Because the Bible says, we just read what Jesus said, therefore what God has joined together, let no man Separate. Now, we're going to get into some exceptions and some other things in a little while, so don't tune me out yet, okay? This is generally speaking. That's one of the lies that people believe. The other lie is they misunderstand love. And man, if there is ever a time in our culture where people misunderstand the word love, it is now. Love is not a feeling. Love is more than a feeling. As the great 80s rock band said, it is more than a feeling. They didn't know they were theologically correct. They didn't know. They didn't know. But we sometimes here in our culture, I just, don't, I just don't feel like I'm in love anymore. Love is a choice. I, I can tell you, you know I'm not perfect. This young lady right here chooses every day to love me. There are some days she does not like me. I'm not telling you anything you don't know if you have been married or you've been in a relationship or you're breathing right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. She chooses to love me. I choose to love her. 
Yes, there's a tra- physical attraction, there's all those emotions, there's all that stuff initially, and there's still that even after almost 25 years of marriage. But if that's what I bank my relationship on, we would be divorced a long time ago. She would have left me. Early on, she would have left me. Because I was married to somebody else. I was married to the ministry. Love is a choice. You choose to love, whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it. And young people, I I just want to make sure you're hearing that because our culture wants to tell you that everything is a yellow brick road and somebody's behind you dropping rose petals and everything's great when you're in love. There is that part of it, but that is a small fraction of love and commitment and some of you that have been married 30 40 50 plus years could speak to this better than i can so our culture misunderstands love here's the other lie and deception that we believe we believe that marriage is all about us being happy could it be that god divinely in his providence connected you with your spouse to make you more holy not more happy been true in my life. And sometimes when you grow in holiness, it's not a happy, it's not a happy event. It's not a happy when you get there, it's like, oh God, if I'd have just known what you're trying to teach me, whoo, I'd been a lot more uh, you know, a lot more pulling in your same direction instead of pulling against you. But our world convinces us that we need to be happy. So for those of us that are married, how does that play into our married life? When we feel discontented or we feel unhappy, what do we do with that? Do we go somewhere else besides our spouse or do we have a conversation with our spouse? See, there's a lot of lies that the enemy can make us believe. So we have to guard ourselves. We have to not succumb to this deception that the enemy is so great at putting in our way. And if we don't understand what God's plan is for marriage, and we're not reading His Word, and we're not in healthy community, then divorce becomes an option. Again, I said said to you guys, I haven't asked her permission, so she might beat me up tonight when we get home. But I told you I was going to be honest and real. We decided early on in our marriage... She knows what I'm going to say because she knows me. We decided early on in our marriage we weren't going to say that word in our house. Now in 25 years, there's probably been, when we had two really rough bumps, and we'll talk about this sometime, we'll have a, another topic, where we, another night where we talk about marriage. But there was a couple of times in 25 years where that word came up a couple of times. Probably from me once and maybe from her once. I'm sure it was, I know it was probably at least once from me. And guys, it was like a punch in the gut. I'd just rather you take me out here in the parking lot and just let me lay down and you just roll over me with a car. But see, we don't, we don't look at it that way unless we know the importance of biblical marriage. Then divorce becomes, oh, that's, you know. People are getting divorced in our culture because of all kinds of crazy reasons. 
Well, she doesn't squeeze the toothpaste in the right part of the tube. I'm, I'm leaving her. I'm done. She doesn't roll the toilet paper this way. She rolls it this way. You know, I, I'm done. I'm done. I mean, really. I, I'm not making this. I'm serious. People are splitting up, leaving each other, walking out on each other for some of the most ridiculous things. So when we, when we think about some of these things about marriage, it's important, again, that we know what the Scripture has to say. So Jesus talks with the disciples. He answers these Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19. If you want to flip back there, he answers their question. It says, Have you not read who, he who created them, male and female, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother? He talks about this and answers this. And if that was kind of the end of the discussion on Divorce, boy, it would make the lives of pastors all over America so much easier. But Scripture then starts to give us some exceptions and some identifiers as to when is divorce okay or is divorce okay. And Jesus even gives us some of those. He says in verse 9 of Matthew 19, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So he gives us right out one of, the, one of the exception clauses. Another one is in 1 Corinthians, if you want to kind of turn to the right, one of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And the whole chapter is about marriage. I encourage you to read it sometime. But when you get down to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse, we'll jump in at verse 15, he gives another exception. He says, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. Talking about marriage, if you have an unbelieving husband, he says in verse 14. Then verse 15, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, a wife, whether you're going to save your husband? Or how do you know, a husband, whether you will save your wife? So young people, here's another little tidbit of free advice for you. If you're a born-again, child of God, disciple of Jesus, you're trying to follow after Him. And I'm not telling you anything that I'm sure Heath has not said every single week. If you're going to court, date, go out, go together, whatever the vernacular is nowadays, hang, whatever. When I was a young teenager, it was go together. And my mom and dad used to harass me about that. Where are you going? I'm going with whoever. Well, I'm going with Connie. Where are you going? You're 13. You can't go anywhere. You don't have a driver's license. I mean, they would harass me. But that's what we called it. So whatever you call it, here's the caution for you. Be careful who that person is. Because you don't know how your emotions are going to get tied up into that person. And if that person is not a child of God, Paul talks about being unequally yoked, and he talks about that for a reason. If you get all tied up emotionally with that person and then you, quote, fall in love and then you get married, I know many, 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 many people, unfortunately, that I grew up with who were believers, who married someone who wasn't a believer. Most of them are divorced and the ones who aren't divorced, their life is miserable. Because they're pulling in one direction, and the other person who doesn't know Jesus is pulling in the opposite direction, which only makes sense. 
And not to add anything to God's word about being unequally yoked, but I would say also, it's not enough anymore in our culture to find somebody who says, oh, I'm a Christian. If you want a checklist of questions to ask that person, come see me and I'll give you one. Because anybody and everybody now in America says, I'm a Christian. I'd have some harder questions. Trust me, my daughter's dating somebody and I can't wait till she brings him home. Because along, along with the shotgun, I got a hundred question survey. And that's probably why she hadn't brought him yet. Because she knows she better be ready. He better be ready. Some of those questions are going to be, are you following God? Are you in God's word? Are you, do you have a relationship with God? Are you just have your name on a church roll somewhere that, you know, says you're a church member? So all those things are important. All those things are important. So if we look back again at Matthew chapter 19, I know I got you flipping back and forth, but back to Matthew chapter 19, we'll notice that from what Jesus said, he's talking about divorce, he's talking about remarriage, and it's important to to note that he says something, a little phrase that we may have just skimmed over. Well, he says it in verse 4, he says, He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So from the beginning is a little bit of a hint. And then it's in... Let me find it. Uh, I'm looking for it. 19... Ah, verse 8. When they say to him, Then why did Moses command... To give her a certificate and divorce her. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Here's the key phrase. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. Which tells me some things. Divorce is not God's plan A. Now, before you start throwing stuff at me, if you've been in that spot, here's the good news. I'm in God's plan. I don't know what plan it is. It's plan Z, 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 Z. Because I've messed up I don't know how many times. God's plan A, he gave me plan B. And then I messed that up, he gave me plan C. Because he's a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. But his plan A was for marriage to be an image of his relationship with us. So that tells me a couple of things. One, it tells me that's... Divorce is, is, is a man-made thing. It's a man-made thing. God never ordained it. He never created the institution of divorce. Man did. And most uh, other pastors that I know, and I even surveyed some this afternoon. I was texting. I've been talking to this week saying, here's what I'm talking about. You know, just tell me what's happening. At, what's your, what happens in your church? I even asked Joey, and I may have asked Heath too. I can't remember because I'm new here at Crossroads. What do we have in print in our church bylaws, constitution, whatever, our guiding documents that might, might or might not need to be updated. I don't know. But what do we have in there? Do we have anything about divorce? And you're going to know why I asked that question in just a little bit. Because most pastors and Christian leaders obviously are going to discourage divorce. Uh, but there are some times... When I think about, again, my sister, where you go, okay, God. I wish, 
I wish that life was all black and white, don't you? What I'm finding, the older I get, is there are some things that are black and white. And this, again, is the standard for everything. This book, God's Word, is the standard for everything. But because of the crazy, sin-filled world that we live in, sometimes things get a little gray. And we have to sift through God's Word to figure it out. And most times, I was talking to my daughter the other day about this, we tend to, in Christianity, and in the church especially, in the Christian church, we tend to go to extremes where, just like I mentioned with homosexuality, just like we do with divorce, where we'll, we'll stand on this side, where if you've ever had a divorce, you're ostracized, and you feel like my sister, that when you walk into church, you have this big D painted on your outfit, and everybody's looking at you. Or you're on this end of the spectrum where people just don't talk about it and they accept everything and you're part of a church for anybody and everybody and blatantly you can live like the devil, you know, and all that. So those are the two extremes. When in reality, there's really a balanced answer from the Bible. And, and most leaders, and this makes it hard for myself and Heath and Joey, it's easier for leaders to just give the black and white answers. You know why? Because then we don't have to get into the muck and mire of life with you. Now, thankfully, you have a group of guys, and Kayla as well, our heart is to get into the muck of life with you. Because that's where real discipleship happens. So I'd love to give you a lot of concrete, hard answers on some things, but some of these things, truth be told... Or on a case-by-case basis, let me kind of share with you a little bit more and you'll understand what I mean. That, that some, some evangelical Christians in our world hold to the belief that the only exception for divorce is death. Do you know that? And they, they quote this verse in Matthew chapter 19, verse 8, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, from the beginning, it's not been this way. And then they may even quote and flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. They'll use one of the verses from Paul, chapter 7, verse 24, I believe it is. It says, Brothers, let each man remain with God in that condition in which he was called. And if you read the whole passage, it's talking about being bound to a wife, don't seek to be released. And so a lot of or a small fraction of people hold to that belief that if you're going to be, you know, divorced, you're divorced to death. Here's, again, what Scripture teaches. And the short version is this, as we talked about marriage. When marriage is not working, the easy solution is for us to want to get out and bail. Which is not what God wants us to do. So you say, well, Jack, what do you think? What do you think? I was reading today on some different scriptures. And really, it's about understanding what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say. And it's understanding, again, the original language, like we talked about last week with some words in the Bible, that we translate and we carry that out through generations, and we really don't know what, we're, what we've translated. But this is what one person says, and I'm just going to throw this out there, because this is, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this a little bit. Is there a time when something that is a sin is always a sin? 
Can there be a time when something that is a, a, a sin maybe isn't a sin or is justifiable? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you think about the Ten Commandments, you shall, shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Those are pretty, those are pretty black and white, right? I mean, those are pretty black and white things that we know that that is always a sin. But then if you study some of the other commands of Scripture, like this one, and I've heard this mistranslated even as I grew up, and I grew up in a great church. You shall not murder, Exodus twenty thirteen. So is there ever a time then that there is justification by God for murdering someone? Hang with me. I'm going to come back around. Some of you are looking at me with inquisitive faces. Murder is not the same as killing. Murder, according to the Bible, is the motive behind killing someone. So... It's the intent then to harm or to bring malice to somebody or to take a life for someone that's then the issue. So murder is always a sin, but maybe killing is not necessarily a sin. You could kill someone in self-defense. You could kill someone, uh, our military, those to defend our nation. You could kill someone by accident. Think about the story of Joshua, Joshua chapter 20. God even provided a city of refuge where people could take refuge and hide because they were being pursued for a death that was caused by an accident. So some people say, and I'm, I tend to believe, just so you know where one of the pastors is, and I'm not lumping in Heath and Joey in here because we haven't had this conversation. But that might be where divorce is, is in that category. Is, is divorce a sin in of itself? Or is the motive behind divorce the sin? You say, well, how do you, how do you split the hairs on that one? That's, yeah, I know. Now, most of the time, those people who got divorced, it was the motive that was at issue, right? Think about this. I was looking at this scripture today. Jeremiah 3, 8. And this is, by the way, the, the, the uh, verse... That Jesus, or excuse me, the Pharisees mentioned to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. They're quoting a, a, a verse in Jeremiah chapter 3 that says this. God saw all the causes of backsliding Israel had committed. He called it adultery. And, and the original language there, here's what it says. God put her Israel away and gave her a certificate for divorce. So God divorced himself in that moment from Israel. Now, let's think about that. I know God can't sin. Some things God can't do. God can do almost everything. But one thing he can't do is he can't sin. Because he's holy. He only does righteous acts. So if he divorced himself from Israel... Then he only did it as a righteous act because of his righteousness. 
So divorce, maybe it's in that category. Let me give you some other examples that fall in line with that. And some of you who have been through divorce could speak to this again better than me. And people that I know who have been divorced, these are some things they've said. What if I'm in an abusive relationship? What if my spouse, most of the time it's the husband, although I know the wife can be guilty of this too, is beating the snot out of me and you're telling me to stay with her? And folks, I know people like that who have heard from their pastor, you stay with him. And I know people like that who have lost their life because the pastor said, well, divorce is, God doesn't like divorce. And they've actually even said, which is another word that's not exactly the way it's translated in the Bible. You guys don't, please don't think I'm liberal. I went back and studied over this a lot the last few weeks because I really wanted to know what I thought up here and here. God dislikes divorce, but God never said he hated divorce. He dislikes it, which is, we might be splitting hairs. This is important, though, that we as a church know what the Bible says because people outside there will twist it around and they'll say things to us. And if we don't know, then we'll go, well, yeah, you're right. That's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says God dislikes divorce. Matter of fact, it only says that God uh, hates seven things in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. And, and, and the writer lists those things that God hates, and it's actually the word translated hates. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run to evil, a false witness, and the one who sows discord among brethren. So God hates those. So if he gave a provision in the scripture through Moses for divorce, then can we say God hates divorce? He dislikes divorce. But he's given a provision for divorce. Moses gave a provision for divorce. We know what some of those provisions are. I just read a couple of them that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. Immorality. Mary's another woman. I'm just thinking through this with you tonight. I see some of you thinking, it's good to think. It's good to stretch your brain. Pastor Jim asked me, uh, asked me a few questions this week. Stretch my brain a little bit. We're going to be married in heaven. You don't have to answer that. We'll answer it later. But it's good to stretch your brain a little bit. So what does all that have to do with with what we're talking about tonight. If God hated divorce the way we have termed that in our culture, then I don't believe he would have made a concession for divorce. I believe he would have said, as some evangelical Christians hold the position, that divorce is basically a sin and God's done with you. But God gave a provision for divorce. God gave a provision for sin in general. And his provision is Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean we condone that. But true, we shouldn't make people who feel divorced feel inadequate, second-class Christian. One day you'll work off your sin and you'll be worthy enough to know Jesus again. It's a messy issue, isn't it? 
But that's not really our question. Our question was, does God, uh, does divorce disqualify you? Does divorce disqualify you? And there's two ways we can kind of look at that. One way is, does, does divorce disqualify you from being a Christian? And God's word's pretty clear about every sin that we commit. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. So if you are divorced, you get to go to heaven? Yeah, you get to go to heaven. If you're a born-again child of God and you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah. That bothers some of us. I had a friend of mine ask me years ago, he said, you know, the great serial killer Charles Manson, if he had come to know Jesus the day before he died, what would you think about that? Because he killed all these people and obviously, you know, had a horrendous life. And then if maybe a day before he died, he came to know Jesus. And most of us think, well, he would, have a, he would be in heaven, but he'd be over in the ghetto part of heaven. <laughs> We'd be in the uppity-up neighborhood, the gated community of heaven with the extra gold streets, but he'd be over in the ghetto part. I'm thankful that's not the way the grace of God works. So if you've been through that event, it's not your identity again, but if you've been through that event of divorce, or you know somebody who has, I want to encourage you, church family, reach out to them and share the grace and the love of Jesus with them. The same grace and love that forgives them of divorce, whether they were 100% guilty or 100% innocent, and they probably weren't 100% innocent because it takes two to tango. Regardless, the grace of God is there for that person just like it is for you and me and all the stuff and all the baggage that we carry around with us. But what about serving? If you're divorced, does it, are you disqualified at serving? I don't know what our constitution bylaws say. I don't think it says. I was asking Joey. If you're divorced, can you serve as a deacon, for example? I asked several other pastors, some in our community, some from around the country that I know this week, that question. I said, I'm just doing a survey, unofficial survey. Tell me what the deal is with your church. It was interesting. It was a mixed, mixed response. Huh. I don't know how you deal with that. I'll just be really honest. Because when you read the Bible... And you see everything that the Bible has to say about the grace of God. Of course, you can read the Bible too and you hear, hear and you read what, it, what the Bible says to us as leaders. The weight of responsibility that the Bible tells us we who lead, whether we're a pastor or whether we're a Sunday school teacher or whether we're the, a deacon, wherever we lead, we will be held to higher account and higher standards. And yet, then I was reading this week that you may... This may not surprise you, but the third highest divorce rate group in the country is pastors and ministry leaders. So let's just be hypothetical. What about pastors that are divorced? Do they get to stay in ministry? Do they get to serve as an elder or a deacon? Where I, where I land on this, as I was, again, reading a lot of this this week, 
There's so many scriptures. Oh, I wish I had time. I'm not going to have time to get to all these tonight. But there's so many scriptures about, about these issues. I think about the scripture in 2 Corinthians where Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17. You're a new creature. If any man is in Christ, new creature. The old, the old is gone. The new has come. Then I think about our, our role here in, at, at Crossroads being in leadership. And I was looking for a quote because this person put it really well and I can't find it. But it went something like this. If I find it, I'll post it on Facebook or on the website. There's the scriptures, of course, that talk about you as a, as a, a leader being a, and even a deacon. And this is part of our deacon Job descriptions, if you will, that you're a, a one-woman man. And literally, that's the way the Scripture is translated. Which means, are you being faithful? If you're currently married, are you being faithful to the person to whom you're now faithful? And the person that I was reading this week, again, I can't remember the quote exactly, but the quote was something like this. We need to evaluate people, church, on their present tense Christianity. Because if any of us were evaluated on our past history, I wouldn't be up here tonight. I might as well sit down, seriously. So we have to evaluate people on their present tense Christianity. One of the pastors I was talking to this week said they're in the midst of changing their bylaws, constitution, when it comes to deacons. Because he said, here's the reality in our church. We have people, some of it was B.C., before Christ. They had a relationship. They had a divorce. They came to know Christ. They're growing in their walk. Some of it was after they came to Jesus. They had a roller coaster ride. There's things about the marriage, the lady, the man they were married to. Something happened, blah, blah, blah. But for the last couple years, they're the most faithful person in our church. They could preach better than me, blah, 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 blah. What do you do? Do you bench those people? Does Jesus bench those people? If we in all of our areas, and, and what's interesting again, even, even with this issue of divorce and does it disqualify you, you can easily put the spotlight where the spotlight doesn't need to be. We do that so often. We put the spotlight on this person who's been divorced. Do they, are they qualified to be a deacon? It's like Jesus did with the disciples. Maybe if we threw the spotlight out here, are we qualified? I'm not downplaying the role of leaders in that we are have a weightier judgment from God. But I believe what God tells us and reminds us of is if you study the scriptures. Oh my goodness, I could go another hour. We don't have time. Is that the only thing that disqualifies you and me is if we say no to Jesus. That disqualifies us. Disqualifies us from a lot. It disqualifies us from eternal life, a relationship with Him. A lot of people have this misconception in the world. How could God be so loving that He would send people to hell? Newsflash, He doesn't send anybody to hell. You choose. You choose. So the only thing that disqualifies us is choosing not to follow and acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, as the person who can forgive us of our sins, as the person who makes us qualified. 
So if you're here tonight and you feel like, well, I'm walking around with that D on your chest because you've been through that, I want you to know you can, as far as I'm concerned, in our church, you can erase that because that's not who you are. I know people who have gone through divorce that I trust with my life and trust their Bible knowledge and their walk with Jesus more than some people I know who are married. Because it has to do with their personal relationship with Christ, not their history, not their past. So much more we could say about that. I might have to record a video and post it because there's, we barely scratch the surface. Any thoughts before we pray or questions or scriptures that come to your mind? All right. So you youths that haven't gotten married yet, choose wisely. I waited a long 28 years, but it was worth it. It was worth it for you too, wasn't it? Okay, never mind. Don't answer. 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 We're going to pray. There's so much more we could talk about. We could talk about remarriage. What's the Bible have to say about that? We could talk, and I believe there's, the Bible, the scriptures tell us there's a place, there's a place for that. I'm, I'm hoping, again, just because she's a near and dear part of my life, and, and I'm hoping that she actually will move, and I'm hoping that she will become a part of our church family in the next year. We'll see what God's up to. But when I think about my sister, I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, she's 49. She has three kids, one still left to raise by herself because her husband's... I'm hoping that God would send her somebody who can demonstrate to her what a real man is that loves God. So let's pray together. Lord, I love you. Uh, I hope that anything I've said tonight that is not true from your word, you would erase from our memories. There's so much in your word I need to learn. So much we want to know. Two things I know. That you are God. And you are a forgiver of our sin. And the second thing that I know, Lord, is that you want our identity to be in you. And for those of us that know you, despite our past and despite the way we feel, and Lord, I, I, I know that Selfishness really is the number one reason that most of our marriages don't last. And yet I know that you can forgive even selfishness. And you can restore us. And you want to use us. And the truth of the matter is, those things that have happened in our past, you can use. You promise us in your word, Lord, that all things will work to good together for the good, to them that love you. It doesn't mean all things are good. We have a lot of junk in our lives. But somehow, you can take all the good stuff and the bad stuff, and if we'll submit ourselves to you, you can take all that stuff, and you can create a beautiful picture that can impact the kingdom of God. Only God could do that. Only you could do that. So, Lord, I pray for friends in this room. 
maybe need to be reminded of your goodness and who you are. I pray for those of us, Lord, who have friends who have gone through this event of a divorce. We know a lot of times we say it's an event, but it can be ongoing. Would you help us be the grace and the light and the truth of Jesus to them? Now go with us tonight. Use us this week to impact our world for you. Lord, help us to stand firm on the truth. Guard our hearts. Keep us pure. Help us to lean on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget, next week, bring your soup. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, thank you. That's the scripture I was trying to find. First Timothy 3, which we, is in our deacon stuff, I believe. Yes. right mm. yeah he gives he gives that provision study it this week and uh i i, I gave you this freedom my first sunday and i uh, i haven't said it a lot since but i still my heart you find something that you can come up and say you said this and the bible says this in context, by the way, because again, you can make the Bible say whatever, but let's, let's sharpen each other, okay? I got, a, I got a homework assignment. Well, I won't, I won't give them your... Pastor Jim gave me a homework assignment. Next week, I'll wait. I'll give you a homework assignment next week. You get this week off. Next week, come back. We're going to talk about next Sunday night, a Christian in politics, and uh, I'll be politicking for the best soup. We're going to raise some money for missions next Sunday night, too. And uh, have a great, great week. Love you. Take care.